Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lungwati. In our top stories of Africa Rise and shine at the Sawa UN agency steps up efforts to tackle Ebola outbreak in the DRC. South Africa's President Sil Ramaphosa marks 100 days in office and Africa Month celebrations continue in South Africa. In economics news, South Africa's consumer price index expected to rise. And in sports news, the Guinean side Horoya hosts sundowns in Champions League. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. And opposition coalition in Burundi has rejected the referendum results as fraudulent. Burundi's Electoral Commission says voters have overwhelmingly approved a new constitution, ushering in changes that could let the president stay in power until 2034. Evariste Nyang. Nyampenda of the Amazero Yabarundi Opposition Coalition says they will file a complaint because the process was marred by irregularities. The United States has echoed similar sentiments, saying the process was marred by voter intimidation. Burundi's Electoral Commission states that 73% voted in favor of amendments extending the presidential term from five to seven years and allowing President Pien Kurunziza to seek two more terms beginning in 2020. Guinea's President Alpha Conde has appointed Ibrahima Kasori Fofana as the country's new Prime Minister. The appointment comes amid heightened political tensions and suspicion about the President's intentions ahead of a 2020 election. Fofana, a Conde loyalist and former Minister of Investment and Public-Private Partnerships, replaces Mamadia Yola, who resigned last week, along with his government. About 10 people died when riots erupted in the capital Conakry and other cities in February and March following local elections that the opposition said were marred by fraud. The World Health Organization says the spread of Ebola to a major city in the Democratic Republic of Congo is worrying. WHO, however, says it's much better prepared to respond to the current outbreak than the disastrous response to the 2014 outbreak in West Africa. The United Nations Health Agency has partnered with the government of the DRC to launch an Ebola vaccination program in a bid to curtail the spread of the latest outbreak in the country's northwest, Sean Rice Peace reports. The first wave of vaccinations targeting health workers and high-risk populations is already underway, focusing on the northwestern Equator province that currently has close to 50 suspected or confirmed cases and where 26 deaths have been reported. The outbreak is the DRC's ninth since Ebola made its first known appearance in the 1970s. 
Iran's President Hassan Rouhani has strongly criticized the United States after its Secretary of State Mike Pompei threatened the Washington that Washington would impose sanctions on Iran. Pompei said the U.S. would exert historic pressure on Iran to abandon its nuclear and ballistic missile ambitions and called U.S. allies for their support. The BBC's John Sopel reports. This will have big implications for European companies. One senior White House advisor told me they would have a straight choice. You can trade with Iran or you can trade with the US, but not both. The French oil giant Total has already announced it will cease trading with Iran. Others are expected to follow suit. Mr Pompeo said if Iran changed course and stopped its ballistic missile program and intervention in regional conflicts, then the sanctions would be lifted. Iran says the U.S. is seeking total surrender and regime change. And finally, as the African continent celebrates Africa Month, South Africa's Arts and Culture Minister Natim Tetra has called on Africans to reclaim Ubuntu, which translates to humility. The minister was speaking at the Living Legends Dialogue held in Sophia Town in Johannesburg. This platform has been created to celebrate legends in the art space while they are still alive. Selected artists will hold masterclass sessions across the country to educate young people and efforts they've made in liberating the country through music. Mteto says Africans need to continue to promote love amongst each other. Our own philosophy, Africa has taught the world a very important philosophy, philosophy of Ubuntu. And that's what we must reclaim, take it back. Ubuntu is about caring for other human beings. It's about sharing with other human beings. And we need to ensure that the cultural imperialism which America introduced to the world. We reverse it. We have no choice but to reverse it. And that's the news airlines at 8.30 Central African time. This is indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. To the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. Your help and apartheid. This year, 2018, marks 100 years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Kholithatha Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating 100 years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. Let us make Africa the tree of life.
It's 807 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg on this Tuesday, May the 22nd, the 142nd day of 2018, with 223 days left in the year. An awareness campaign has kick-started this week in the Democratic Republic of Congo to help children and families protect themselves against an Ebola outbreak. This is one of UNICEF's ways of scaling up efforts against the disease. The UN's Children's Agency says the campaign will see community workers deployed to the Bikoro and Bandaka health zones where they'll aim to help contain the spread of the outbreak through information campaigns, social mobilization and community engagement. More from Eve Wilmot, Chief of Communications for the United Nations Children's Fund in the DRC. Well, at this stage, government is informing us that we have 22 cases that are confirmed. In total, we have, with confirmed and suspected cases, we have 45 cases. And the fatality rate is a little bit above 50% at this stage. Why does UNICEF think mobilizing community workers to raise awareness of the disease is important in this outbreak? Well, the key issue in containing the Ebola outbreak is to make sure that we can actually control the disease from spreading. And that means that communities have to be informed about the disease, about the way they can protect themselves against the disease, that they know also what the symptoms of the disease so that when there is a person that shows the symptoms, that they can quickly send out an alert and that that person can be treated and can be isolated in order to avoid any kind of further contamination. Has such an approach been effective in previous outbreaks? Well, let us remember that DRC is facing with this uh, Ebola outbreak, its ninth outbreak since 1976. And we do know in terms of response that uh, There is a key in terms of success uh, lies with a quick reaction as well as an involvement of local communities in terms of controlling the disease and in terms of people becoming actors also of uh, containing and controlling the disease. Has this outbreak disrupted children's education in any way? Not yet. As far as we see it right now happening in the affected regions, the life to a certain level continues to um, happen as it was before. Schools continue to operate. Now it's difficult to say what the future might bring also in terms of how the disease will uh, evolve. But at this stage, people continue to live to a certain extent their normal lives and school uh, continue to operate. Let's see how that evolves in the near future. And one of the things that we do as UNICEF is to make sure that uh, children can continue to go to school and that schools are secure spaces in terms of the risk of contamination, which means that we have been placing hand-washing points in the different schools in the areas that have been affected and the schools that have been targeted specifically because of being at risk. And we also have provided these schools with uh, laser thermometers so that people can actually monitor the health situation of children and can quickly react when uh, a child is uh, showing symptoms that might be linked to Ebola. But how much do you think communities understand about how to protect themselves from infection at home and in public areas? I think it's all a question of bringing over concrete information 
and making sure that information is brought over by people that they actually trust. And that's why we are working with local community workers that they actually know, that there are people that have been working in the communities and bringing over health messages, but also, for instance, uh, messages around the importance of education, etc. So they know these people, they trust uh, these people, and these people are the most likely to bring over and information that actually impacts on the local communities. We do not limit ourselves to these community workers. They are extremely important, but the messages also are being spread through churches, local churches, through local radio stations, etc. And before I let you go, what is UNICEF doing in addition to public information campaigns? Well, first of all, in addition to community communication and working with these community workers, working with the churches, working with the youth associations, we also work on markets to bring over the correct messages. We also are leading the whole response in terms of water, sanitation, hygiene, hand-in-hand with the government, because obviously our response is being organized in coordination with the government, who has the overall lead over the response on the Ebola outbreak. And in terms of water, sanitation and hygiene, that means that we make sure that as much as possible, particular public places are being safe, made safe in terms of hygiene, in terms of accessibility to water, because the more there is a good hygiene put in place, the less the risk that the disease will be spreading. And then also we are leading the whole activity in terms of psychosocial assistance for the families that are affected by the disease as well as their families so that we avoid any risk of stigmatization, but we also empower people that have been contaminated or that have people in their surrounding being contaminated that they can continue to have, quote-unquote, as normal life as possible. That's Eve Willemot from the United Nations Children's Fund in the DRC speaking to Channel Africa's Elizabeth Lidicha. As the continent celebrates Africa Month, South African Arts and Culture Minister Natim Tetwa has called on South Africans to reclaim Ubuntu. The minister was speaking at the Living Legends Dialogue held in Sophia Town in Johannesburg yesterday. This platform has been created to celebrate legends in the art space while they are still alive and selected artists will hold masterclass sessions across the country to educate young people on efforts they have made in liberating the country through art. Mbali Tetani reports. South African legends in theatre, music, writing and photography gathered in Sapphire Town to inform the public on activities they will be doing in efforts of celebrating Africa Day on the 25th of May. The campaign under the banner Building a Better Africa for a Better World, the legends who are already in their 70s and 80s, say this journey will be done in conversations, collaborations and master classes with young artists in their respective fields. Poet Don Matera says such efforts are necessary as the country and the continent as a whole is still in need of healing the divides of the past. We understand that this country has to be healed and we must be part of that healing. Say to the children, respect your elders like we respected our elders. We say to the children, stay in school. It is about going beyond the words. This organization goes beyond the words. We look for things to do to heal. Living legend and songstress Abigail Kubeka told the dialogue that there's something special about South Africa and the world wants to be a part of it. She encouraged South Africans to embrace their uniqueness. Be proud of who you are. 
Be proud of who you are because you are blessed. We are the richest nation. We are the culture. We are so diverse, it's not even funny. They envy us. You don't know how the world envies us. Fellow musician and trumpeter Stompi Manana told the forum that South Africans should continue to spread the love they had for each other like they did before the Group Areas Act, which came into existence. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, Sofatan was a very great, 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 great place for mm. us to live. We had heterogeneous memberships, you know, Chinese, Indians, you can name them, but the one thing that controlled us and kept us together, it was love for one another. Mm. There was no discrimination, nothing. We all spoke Africans, all of us. Do you know why? Because we were driven by the Africans, you see? So we decided, okay, we'll speak one language so that we can meet them halfway. Other fellow artists who participated in the dialogue included Dorothy Masuka, Jonas Gwangwa, and Welcome Msomi. Arts and Culture Minister Natim Tetwa has continued to show commitment to the living legends with the establishment of a legacy trust endowment fund, ensuring that those who contributed immensely to the country's liberation are not forgotten. Tetwa further says as the African continent celebrates Africa Week, Africans need to continue to promote love and community amongst each other. Our own philosophy, Africa has taught the world a very important philosophy, philosophy of Ubuntu. And that's what we must reclaim, take it back. Ubuntu is about caring for other human beings. It's about sharing with other human beings. And we need to ensure that the cultural imperialism which America introduced to the world, we reverse it. We have no choice but to reverse it. He further says South Africans now have the chance of correcting the ills of the past under the apartheid era and must strive for a harmonious country. We can't blame anybody now. We are here. We are in charge. We must ensure that that which was bad to us, we don't take it to other people, but ensure that we build a harmonious nation. It's going to take us time. The Living Legends Group is now also set to establish a health insurance scheme to help other artists with medical bills. Ambali Tetani in Sophia Town. It is 8.18 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. South Africa's Parliament and the Presidency will deliver their budget votes in the National Assembly this week. For the past three weeks, ministers have debated how their department's money will be spent in the current financial year. Besides budget vote debates, a number of Parliament's, committee, a number of parliament's committees also meet on a daily basis. Zaline Merrington looks at what, it is likely to, what is likely to happen in President Cyril Ramaphosa is back in the National Assembly this week to deliver his department's budget. The presidency has come under fire before for being the only department that does not have a portfolio overseeing it. Spokesperson Moloto Mutapo says the two presiding officers of parliament will also deliver their respective budgets this week. The budget by the chairperson of the NCOP and uh, the National Assembly speaker that will be presented tomorrow is very key in ensuring that this institution continues to exercise its constitutional uh, mandate, uh, hold the executive to account to ensure that 
the commitment that uh, it has made uh, to the people of South Africa in terms of service delivery uh, are realized. MPs are also expected to mark Africa Day celebrations on Thursday under the theme The Legacy of Nelson Mandela in Building a Better Africa and a Better World, in between sitting for around 25 committees this week. The police committee will have a special hearing to focus on the growing trend of cash and transit robberies. The South African Social Security Agency, SASA, is under the spotlight at the Standing Committee on Public Accounts, who will look at irregular, fruitless and wasteful expenditure in its 2016-17 annual report. Also this week, the Ad Hoc Committee on the Funding of Political Parties will meet to consider its draft program. I'm Zeline Merrington at Parliament. Friday the 25th of May is a special day for our continent. It is Africa Day. Africans commemorate the founding of the Organization of African Unity, now known as the African Union, on the 25th May 1963. It aims to celebrate African unity. Channel Africa will be part of the celebrations. Join us as we broadcast live from the 9th Tabombeki Africa Day Lecture. So tune into Channel Africa. Friday the 25th of May from 19 hours to 21 hours Central African time on the frequency 3345 kHz on the 36-meter band when we'll bring you Ms. Pumuzile Mulambongnuka, Undersecretary General and Executive Director of UN Women, the title of her lecture being Gender Equality and Women Development for Africa's Renewal. The time and frequency again, 19 hours to 21 hours Central African time on the frequency 3345 kHz on the 36-meter band. Channel Africa, 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 bringing you the African perspective. Leader of South Africa's opposition party, the Democratic Alliance, Musimaimani, has warned South Africans not to be excited about the so-called New Dawn being preached by the ruling ANC since President Cyril Ramaphosa took office in December. The president will be marking 100 days in office, but the DA has labelled his performance underwhelming and has too much hype and no action, Maimani says, President Ramaphosa had more than enough time to right the wrongs committed by former President Jacob Zuma, including downsizing a bloated cabinet and ensuring that all those who were found to have wronged at state institutions are arrested. He spoke to the media in Johannesburg yesterday. Abongile Dumako reports. DA leader Musi Maimane has called on President Cyril Ramaphosa not to boast as yet thinking that he has done well for the 100 days he has spent in office, saying this because the bar set by former President Jacob Zuma was pitifully low. He says the continuing job crisis and acts of nepotism and corruption in government are a call for a serious concern. My money is adamant that a lot could have been done thus far by Ramaphosa, including cutting a bloated cabinet of 35 ministers and 37 deputy ministers. He says corruption needs an urgent attention before things get worse, including taking decisions of making sure organs of state function properly. Maimane outlines some of the issues Ramaphosa needs to attend to right now. So we urge Sir Ramaphosa 
to ensure that there's an independence of the NPA by appointing somebody who's fit and competent as a director of public prosecutions to restore the integrity of that institution. Support the move to remove the current public protector, Busisio Mkweba. Ensure that justice is served in the ongoing trial of Jacob Zuma, but instead, Sil Ramaphosa has already sponsored Jacob Zuma's legal fees and now opposes our application in court to say that the state can continue to bankroll Jacob Zuma in his course to delay his day in court. And the DA Parliamentary Chief Whip John Steinhazen says the state of SOEs has been a constant strain to the country's economy. He says instead of making sure that these SOEs help in making sure that they generate revenue for South Africa, looting was the order of the day, which saw many people lose their jobs. Steinhazen says the wrongs of the past must be sorted out immediately. Despite chairing the Interministerial Committee for State-Owned Entities, whilst Deputy President, Mr. Ramaphosa has failed to ensure that the committee carried out its mandate of overseeing the stabilisation and reform of state-owned entities while he was in that position. For the 2017-18 financial year, state-owned enterprises hold 466 billion rand in government guarantees. Yet these state-owned entities continue to make massive losses. Overall, public entities lost 53.7 billion rand in Fiscus 16-17. Now, DA leader Musi Maimane says internal battles and challenges his party is facing will not negatively affect their performance during next year's national and provincial elections. He was responding to setbacks for the party like the Cape Town mayor issue, the resignation of Marietta Ocamp, the underqualified former chief of staff at Swane Metro, and the recent return of MP Nosimo Balindlela to the ANC. My man says rather than focus on these matters, South Africans should give the DA a chance to prove that it will always hold to account all those who are on the wrong side of the law. I'm Abongile Dumago in Johannesburg. Let's go back in time to today in 1970. The English Cricket Council reverses its decision to allow South African cricketers to tour England. The move follows pressure from anti-apartheid activists and countries that were opposed to the apartheid government of South Africa. That's today in history in the year 1970. It's 26 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. A business people from Kenya and South Africa held a joint summit in Nairobi on Monday aimed at seeking investment opportunities in both countries. The trade and investment mission comprising of 19 South African companies will also have a similar summit in Tanzania. On the first day of the summit, weaknesses in the country's value addition chains as well as non tariff barriers emerged as top hindrances between Kenya and South Africa. Sarah Kimani reports. On the first of a three-day business summit bringing together investors from Kenya and South Africa, officials from Kenya lamented the trade imbalance between the two regional economic powerhouses. The latest data shows that exports from Kenya standard below 3% of imports from South Africa. Angela Ndamboki is the Chief Executive Officer of the Kenya National Chamber of Commerce and Industry. So the total exports to South Africa dropped in 2017 
to 26.78 million from US 40.68 million in 2016, while the Kenya imports from South Africa increased to 600 million US uh, dollars in 2017 from 488.8 million in 2016. This meeting is aimed at bridging that gap. Kolekam Kwana is a South African High Commissioner to Kenya. The question that stands before us, what is it that we're doing it differently? And I think we are known as Africans all over the world that we are good at imbizos. Implementation, implementation is very important. Lack of value addition was identified as one of the setbacks for Kenya's low exports to South Africa. Kenyan businessmen also lamented non-tariff barriers like lengthy paperwork and bureaucracy as some of the impediments to access in the South African markets. Mohamed Abdi Mohamed, a livestock trader in Kenya, explains. I've made several uh, trips to South Africa, uh, to the permit office in Pretoria, trying to get uh, an import license for camel meat and camel products like meat and uh, milk. But um, to this date, we don't have any joy from that side. Not one to give up, Mohammed has devised other ways of accessing the market. Kenya is hoping to tap into South Africa's more developed manufacturing sector. South African businessman Tlantla Mapalala, who has thrice tried to begin businesses in Kenya and failed due to lack of knowledge in the market, says he's ready to start a manufacturing plant in the country. Under Kenyan laws, the government is duty-bound to provide sanitary towels to all school-going girls. Glantler says he will tap into this opportunity. Go to Mauritius, they are slaughtered, they are you know, packaged and then sent to South Africa. Uh, coming here this time is looking into the manufacturing and supply of the sanitary pads in, inside Kenya. President Uhuru Kenyatta has set increasing manufacturing, affordable housing, universal health care and food security as the four priority pillars of his development agenda during his second and final term. South African businessmen were told of the immense incentives that are available to those who will invest in these four key areas. Sarah Kimani, Kenya. Now, just with some response from social media and Twitter more especially, a reply or more than a reply, a question from Mr. Young Scholar, at Charles Gichani, he says, Hi, what venue was used to host this meeting and are there more meetings planned in Nairobi? Well, uh, Mr. Young Scholar, we are not aware at the moment. We know that Tanzania will be hosting um, uh, another uh, uh, session. So uh, we will try and find that information from you for you and uh, update as soon as we can. It is 8.30 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines and opposition coalition in Burundi rejects the result of last week's referendum, which ushers in changes that could let the president stay in power until 2034. Guinea's President Alpha Conde appoints his loyalist Ibrahima Kusari Fufana as the country's new prime minister amid heightened political tensions. And in celebration of Africa Month, South Africa's arts and culture minister Natim Tetua calls on Africans to reclaim 
proclaim Ubuntu, which translates to humility. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you. And a leading Zambian food distributor that specializes in the cold chain distribution of animal protein capital fisheries has received an investment of about 6.4 million US dollars by Africa Focus private equity manager Exio Capital. The food distributor sells fish sustainably harvested in Zambia, Zimbabwe and Namibia, mainly tilapia or brim. More than half of the animal protein consumed in Zambia consists of fish. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by Kenneth Sinclair, a partner at Exio Capital. Good morning, Kenneth, and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, Lily. It's a pleasure to, to speak to you this morning. Now, Kenneth, why are you specifically investing in the Zambian food sector? And what makes this specific food distributor eligible for this investment? So, Lulu, there are obviously the demographics of, of the country Zambia. Zambia's got about 17 million people, but it's, uh, the population is, is forecasted to grow at uh, roughly about 2.8% per annum. In addition to that, you've got the rapid urbanization, which, um, you know, they've got a fairly high urbanization rate of about 4.8. And, but we, we, the Zambian economy is very much linked to the copper price. So um, we saw a, a huge uh, fall in the copper price in, fourth, um, in 2016 when the copper price went down to $4,500 per ton. And at that stage, we identified Zambia as a, as a, as, as a potential for a value investment because um, our, our belief is that the copper price will uh, be, be, be continuing to go up. And as the, con- uh, as the copper price continues to go up, it affects the Zambian economy directly and also the Zambian uh, consumer. So there will be – the Zambian consumer um, con- is it, a fairly uh, – they have a, a lot uh, per, per capita consumption of protein. So we invested in this business as a frozen protein supplier, which is a, a value supplier of quality protein. Now, what kind of impact does the growth of this food distributor then have on the overall market of the industry, um, especially in other countries? We, this business is, is 70% wholesale and uh, 30% retail. Well, not retail, itself, 30% into the retailers. So your retailers um, present in the country in Zambia are you know, ShopRite, your Choppies, Pick and Pay, even Food Lovers and Woolworths are there. But mostly into, into Pick and Pay and, and Checkers in Zambia, that's 30% of um, the, the company's uh, revenue goes towards or comes from, from the retail trade. And uh, uh, in Zambia, Zambia is still underrepresented um, from a from a retail presence point of view, where you have about fifteen thousand people um, in South Africa per point of sale of retailer. In Zambia, it's sixty three thousand people. So, so it's, it's under undersaturated. But the the main theme is really not the retailers growing in Zambia, but it's the informal market. 
So um, the, the business has uh, 50 wholesale depots spread across uh, the whole of the country. They've actually got a very wide footprint. And this, these, these wholesale depots supply fish um, and, and uh, what they call Hungarian sausages and, and, and a number of products to, to the, in, in 10 kilogram bulk packs to your, your, uh, your typical traders in the informal markets. So there are about 3,000 informal market traders that are customers of Capital Fisheries, and, and, and these are mostly women. So you know, as, as we all know, women drive, drive the economy, and, and there can be a huge impact if we, 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 we play our cards correctly with, um, with these 3,000 informal traders. Now, Kenneth, Kenneth, sorry, just to come in there very quickly, uh, before you answer my my question, I've got another one for you where you can elaborate. (laughs) Um, In terms of women, especially the local women, um, who are your micro-entrepreneurs, and obviously Capital Fisheries also purchases some of its, uh, uh, the local fish that uh, these women uh, uh, catch on a daily basis. Just talk to us to that point. So you, uh, Zambia is a very, it's a land-locked country, but it's also a land-linked country. And, and fun, interestingly enough, it's got one of the largest, I think it's probably in Africa, the largest water resources because it's linked to Lake Tanganyika, Lake Muero. It's got the Kafui River going through it in the middle, and then you've got at the bottom the Zambezi and Lake Kariba. These women catch the Kapenka, which is a small fish, in, 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 these, in these waterways and, 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 and lakes and, and dams, and they supply it into capital fisheries. Um, so Kapenta and then also Buka Buka. But I've, um, the Buka Buka is put mainly in, in, in Lake Tanganyika. So those are all both indigenous fish to, to Zambia and, and supplied by smaller um, uh, suppliers, in local suppliers. In addition to that, we also have local... Um, Tilapia. Uh, tilapia is, is sometimes confused with green tilapia. It's, an, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, the tilapia milaticus. It's, it's an indigenous fish to Africa, but it's widely farmed in in Zambia, in, in um, even in Ghana, and it's, they're starting to farm it now in Uganda and and also in, in the Far East. And um, <clears throat> this tilapia is, is is one of the most widely consumed fish in. In Africa, and uh, we get this from local producers as well on Lake, on, on Lake Riba, and also guys farming in, in ponds. Now, Kenneth, uh, you mentioned earlier um, some of the, the retailers that you supply in terms of distribution. Uh, you mentioned Woolworths and I think uh, uh, Pick and Pay, if I'm not mistaken. I'm very interested to find out where does one get Capenta in South Africa? You don't. <laughs> not, uh, so Capenta is not, not readily available in South Africa. It's not something that we consume very well. It's not a popular uh, um, a popular consumer product. Mm. Um, it's, it's something that uh, the local Zambian people, local Zimbabwean people are very familiar with. It's not something that we're familiar with. It's, it's, it's a very tiny fish. Yes, it and, is. A very small, know. tiny fish and very tasty. It's lovely, it, it, especially if it's dried. It mm. tastes a little bit like... like Bokum, you know. Yes. <laughs> um, um, but it, it's tasty, and but not 
not South African market doesn't uh, you can probably get it in speciality stores but it's not it's not widely consumed here. Kenneth, we'll leave it there for now. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, fantastic. I'm glad to join you. Great stuff. That's Kenneth Sinclair, partner of Africa Focus, private equity manager, Exio Capital, and he was joining us on the line. The two-day Africa Shared Value Summit is modeled on the successful Shared Value Leadership Summit held annually in New York, America. Shift Social Development, the team of women behind the summit, aims to create an annual platform where shared value practitioners can share their stories and influence businesses and brands in the creation of shared value, thus embodying their mantra, Profit with Purpose. On the 24th and the 25th of May, Channel Africa will broadcast live from the event taking place at the Maslow Conference Center in Santin, Johannesburg, South Africa. Tune into Africa Dialogue on the 24th of May at 1100 hours Central African time when we will look at building business for the future. Then on Friday, the 25th of May, join Gateway to Africa also at 1100 hours Central African time for another live broadcast looking at shaping Africa's future. Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective. It's 8.41 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. South African award-winning soulful dance trio Mikasa is going global. The trio has signed a deal with Sony ATV Music Publishing. With the deal, the group says it hopes to raise its songwriting and composer profile and get more international exposure. The group says this should be a reminder to local artists to keep their work safe. Channel Africa's Nkantla Matlangu caught up with the trio. Very excited, yeah. man. Very excited and very looking forward to making music which is what we do for a living. I think it's just got a whole new level of, of excitement because we've got people behind us that are really excited to make sure that that music gets worked. Can you just tell us, what exactly does this deal involve? What is it all about? What does it mean for the group? Well, for the group, it's actually, um, within the publishing world, it's new beginnings for us. And it's also a global versus local, you know, type of thing. So we're actually going to spread our wings even in like a better way, you know, and for us to have even a better understanding of the type of music that we're making also and the credits that it's also got, you know. So, um, yeah, so this is like really exciting times for Mikasa and we can't wait to explore and we're also still learning also, you know, we don't know everything, I mean, you know, but we're very excited to be like within this joint venture with Sony um, publishing, you know, so that we can actually even um, educate ourselves even more so we can educate others out there and um, yeah but basically that's it you know we're very excited uh, we trust Sony we, we really feel at home and um, we've what Jay mentioned also like earlier on was that um, there's been so many deals that came our way but we didn't take uh, everything that came our way so we actually waited for the right time you know and um, yeah but we're very excited you know we can't wait yes and you mentioned that it, that it took almost a year or over a year for this deal to be actually put into paper why did it take so long what is it that you guys had to you know go through for you to be sure that this is the one this is what we want to sign into now i think we were so exposed in um so many different um things in this music business you know so we wanted to act you know when we 
everyone is sure on what to do and what's happening and what's publishing, what's a recording deal, you know, one of those things. So as soon as we set our foot on everyone was um, thinking, understanding, we were like, okay, this is the um, thing, Sony is the way to for us to, you know, actually try and come together and um, do a relationship with them, you know, so, yeah. And then, Jay, you also mentioned that you guys have performed worldwide. You've been to 34 African countries. Is there any particular country that stood out for you that you would definitely want to go back and perform? And which other country in Africa do you guys see yourselves um, performing? Oh, we've done so many, but we just got back from Kenya. We've been to Kenya, I think, the most out of all the African countries. Kenya and Mozambique, uh, definitely up there, as well as all the other Southern African countries. But... I think when we look at places that have really shown us a lot of love, I think a lot about the East Africa, you know, uh, Uganda, Zambia, Kenya, Tanzania, uh, these type of places. There's a, there's a beautiful nature about East Africans. I don't know what it is, but they are just so friendly, so welcoming, so humble, so positive about life, you know. Uh, but the whole of Africa, it will open your eyes. I mean, I'll never forget Rwanda. Rwanda was a place where we went to, it was just like, oh my God, this... This is incredible how far they've come in such a short period of time and how much they love Mikasa. We're actually going back there not uh, quite soon. We're going to Uganda actually in the next couple of days. So yeah, we're very excited about our travels, but Africa really is where our heart is. You spoke about Kenya. I know you've got a couple of songs with our South Soul. Mm. Um, any future you know, plans of more collaborations with any other artists outside of South Africa? Collabs, yeah. I mean, we've done our fair share. I think we've done our fair share of collabs. I think that at the moment we're really focusing on, on working uh, within within our camp. Um, but it's not to say that we're not. We, we were just speaking to the Saudi Soul guys just the other day about possibly trying to do something new. Because uh, we've actually only done one record with them. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, wh whatever pops, we've got two songs in the pipeline with uh, Anselmo Rolf from Angola and C4 Pedro from Angola. So these are all things that happen, but you know, these things, they all happen in their right time, you know, when it's supposed to be, it will happen. And that was South African award-winning soulful dance trio Mikasa speaking to Channel Africa's Ntlantla Mathangu. It's 8.45 and our economics update up next with Tabiso Lohoku. Good morning. Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed says the government is ready to ratify the African Continental Free Trade Area deal and deposit its instruments to the African Union. He says Ethiopia is ready to follow the move by Ghana and neighboring Kenya, who became the first countries to submit their documents to the African Union last week. He further encouraged other countries to do the same. Nigeria and former British colonies in Africa are working together to try to repatriate billions of US dollars in offshore accounts from London and beyond. At a regional conference held this week in the Nigerian capital Abuja, the heads of anti-corruption agencies from around Africa met to discuss strategies to overcome bottlenecks in the recovery of stolen assets. Britain ranks among the top destinations for stolen assets from African countries. 
Cypriot investor Kara Resources wants to use some of the output from its planned 4.2 billion US dollar platinum project in Zimbabwe to make catalytic converters for capping emissions in diesel cars. Cyprus-born Lucas Parolis, who heads a Caro, signed the deal in March to build a platinum mine and refinery in the Mohonorongezi platinum belt. Zimbabwe's Mines Minister Winston Chitando told a committee of parliament on Monday that Caro and an unnamed partner plan to channel some of the platinum towards manufacturing diesel catalytic converters locally. South African consumers may need to brace themselves for a steep hike in the consumer price inflation rate. Analysts say inflation could jump up significantly as a result of the fuel and value-added tax increases which kicked in in April. Naledi Ngobo reports. Analysts agree that inflation will have increased significantly when Stats SA releases the figure this week. The anticipated increase in inflation is expected to encourage the Reserve Bank to keep interest rates unchanged. Ghana's central bank has cut its benchmark interest rate by 100 basis points to 17%, saying it was on track to meet its minimum or rather medium-term inflation target as the economy stabilized. Ghana is in its final year of a 918 million US dollar credit deal with the International Monetary Fund to narrow its deficit and reduce debt and inflation. It has now lowered the rate by 850 basis points over the past year. Speaking in the capital Accra, the central bank governor, Ernest Addison, projected that inflation would fall to the bank's target of 8% by the end of this year or early 2019. The US dollar trades at 984 Botswana Pula. It's at 1013 in Zambia. In BRICS currencies, as the US dollar trades at 371 Brazilian real, at 622 Russian ruble, and at 688 Indian rupee, 6038 Chinese yuan, and at 1276 to the South African rand, 74 pence to the British pound, 85 cents to the euro. Gold $1,288, platinum $891 an ounce. So the price of brand crude oil is at $78, 57 cents a barrel. I'm Tabi Solohoko for Channel Africa. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update, we begin with football news. South African Premiership outfit Mamelodi Sundown, the Brazilians will continue with the KF Champions League program. When they take on Horoya FC in Conakry, Guinea, at Stadium 28 September Stadium tonight. The Brazilians' clash against Horoya was postponed due to a friendly match that they encounter against FC Barcelona last week. Here is Bito Misimani on meeting Widat. Uh, Widat went. And they, they won 3-0, if I'm not mistaken, uh, against um, the Togolese. So we have to try and win away in uh, in, in uh, Guinea-Conakry to catch up, you know. And uh, hopefully we win and uh, we are joint leaders with, uh, with that particular win first. It's not going to be easy. 
There are four teams from Southern Africa in the group stages of the Champions League this year. Township Rollers from Botswana are in Group A, while there are three teams, Zesco United from Zambia, Swaziland's Mbabane Swalos, and Primero de Agosto from Angola in Group D. Rollers were humiliated by 4-1 goals by Esperance from Tunisia last week. Musimani elaborates. On the Champions League, yeah, it's, it's becoming, as I said, new, newcomers, eh? Um, and also reality. You could see that the Township Rollers are a little bit naive um, in Esperance, playing the same way as they always play in Botswana, and you got hammered four. And um, Esperance shows the quality. Belgium coach Roberto Martinez left AS Roma midfielder Rajan Angolan out of his squad for next month's World Cup in Russia, insisting it was a purely technical move and not due to past clashes over discipline. Martinez says he and Angolan had an honest discussion after Martinez flew to Rome to break the news. I understand how popular the player is, but myself and the technical staff, we need to make decisions that they are in the good of the team and to try to create a team to try to become a winning team and the reason that Roger is not in the squad is purely a tactical uh, decision that we cannot give him the role that he needs to be in a football team. Nangolen ended his international career after the news. Among fresher faces given a chance are winger Anad Januzatz from Real Sociedad and 21-year-old Monaco midfielder Yuri Tillemans. I think Kevin De Bruyne has been, has been a joy to watch him uh, um, evolving, um, not just this season. I thought he took a very, very strong role last campaign when Manchester City didn't, didn't win any titles, but you could see how important he became and, and how uh, vital he was in order to achieve what his club has achieved. Cricket South Africa, CSA, have named the Proteas women's squad that will travel to England from the 3rd of June to the 1st of July. The tour, which will take place across six venues, will feature a three-match ODI series as part of the ICC International Women's Championship and a T20 triangular that will include New Zealand. All of the matches in the ODI series will form part of the ICC Women's Championship, the qualifying tournament for the 2021 ICC Women's World Cup. The T20 Triangular Series will play a big part in South Africa's preparation for the 2018 ICC Women's Well T20, which is due to take place in the West Indies in November. And on to tennis news, South Africa's Kevin Anderson has been seeded with six of for the French Open starting on Sunday. The top-ranked SA player holds a career-high seventh in the ATP singles rankings and with Swiss legend Roger Federer, who would be the number two seed not participating in the French Open? The 32-year-old Anderson enjoys a higher seeding. Spain's Rafael Nadal is the number one seed, with German Alexander Zverev the number two seed. Bulgaria's Grigor Dimitrov rounds out the top seeds at three. That's the sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka na Unai. 
Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. UN agency steps up efforts to tackle Ebola outbreak in the DRC. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa marks 100 days in office and Africa Month celebrations continue in South Africa. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuto Ramagaza and Komoto Mopulane, technical producer Revelino Ibrahim and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp at 277-6300327, tweet us at Rise Shine Africa at Channel Africa 1. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to southern Africa is Tribute Bird in Gobeni with a track titled Makumete. <laughs>